0: Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your host, Dr. Chrissy Rankin,
1: physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy.
2: And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher.
1: We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey.
2: Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve
0: independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started.
1: So uh, yesterday, I was teaching um, remotely to a group of therapists in Georgia, and we were talking about what we do, which was, this is a group of therapists who do treat lymphedema, and they're in their reviews with the Dr. Vauder School International, Um, you have to go back every uh, two years, two to three years to update your skills and demonstrate that you're maintaining a base level competency with your hands. Um, And I should give a background a little bit on the Vauder School, because for years, they were the gold standard on how to treat lymphedema in the United States. And so it, it was four weeks of training, 160 hours, and and then you go back every two years. And um, as time went on, other schools popped up and they, they advertised things like learn to treat lymphedema in five business days. They had nine-day schools that went from Saturday to the following Sunday, uh, 10 hours a day, and you get one day of normal and then the rest pathologies. Um, whereas the Vauder school was, you get five days of, of normal, and then we're going to repeat it and add a little bit. And then we're going to do two weeks of pathology. Um, so they maintain their moral high ground and their standard, and they became less and less of the market share <laughs> of, uh, because as, um, people want, were getting trained, you know, they wanted to pick the shorter trainings, the hospitals that they worked for, the people they worked for, wanted to pay for the shorter trainings. Now we're down to, I got an ad for one that said, um, come and get lymphedema trained, uh, learn manual lymph drainage in two days and get certified for $179, you know. Oh wow. two So days? <laughs> yeah, two days, two days. And this is what people are up against because you can just go ahead and say, oh, um, you know, we, we offer this in our facility. We have somebody who took training and they're certified. Mm-hmm. Yet. Everyone should always ask, well, what did that certification entail? <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. So uh, anyway, um, when we, when I'm talking with these ladies one lady says to me, her patients always say to her, why didn't anyone tell me about you? Because inevitably, when they get to a fully trained Dr. Vodder, uh, uh, original Dr. Vodder method therapist who's putting in this time year after year to keep their skills current, and um, they have a better result. And and I've heard that too. I mean, I just had a, a patient a, a couple of months ago, nicest lady wouldn't say a bad what what's that expression pardon me wouldn't say shit if she had a mouthful just about did because she's so angry that mm-hmm. she went through um metastatic cancer without knowing about us you know why wouldn't people share that information and it it took somebody's nurse to say you should go over here <laughs> so that, that um why didn't somebody tell me about that? Why didn't they tell me about that treatment methods are there's Some are not all equal? Um, mm-hmm. But I thought how many times might we all think, how I wish somebody would have told me about that sooner. Um, and I thought that could be our topic. <laughs> and that was a long story leaning into that phrase, I wish somebody would have told me about that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of times I wish I would have known something sooner.
2: Yeah. It seems so. like a very common uh, theme in the medical world for some reason. Like it seems like it's hard to, uh, it takes a lot of effort to find what it is exactly that you want or need. And sometimes, and there's a lot of things that we don't even know that we need is out there. Um, and it seems like the medical system is sort of parsed out, like, you know, you go see your primary care physician, it seems like they should be the, I would think that that they could be the ones that are, um, kind of taking in all your information and then are able to tell you exactly what you need or have all the information of like, um, uh, you should go see this person or this person and sort of know, but it doesn't seem like we have, it's either your doctor will only spend like five minutes with you and, um, or uh, I don't know, like I, they won't, they don't even know sometimes. Um, I know a lot of doctors don't really know about like VOD or lymphedema trained therapists. So mm-hmm. it just seems like the system's not really set up for that sort of method of you Know going to see a doctor, them spending a lot of time with you, and really, um, like hashing out what it is exactly that you need, and then who it's like you need a manager for your health, but who is that manager mm-hmm. person? It seems like we tend to be a lot of the times, <laughs>
0: yeah, we do. And it's you know? I've actually heard that there are people who do that now, and you're mm. and it's sad that we it has come to that point where people are hiring medical managers to especially I think Mm -hmm. didn't one of our patients have one that had the heart infection Sarah
1: oh I didn't know that
0: I think maybe they were talking to me about it about Mm -hmm. uh that they hired someone to be able to look at all of his records and then parse out what he needs to do based on what the record said, um, and it is interesting that that is there. And it, whether it's because the system is not allowing physicians to do that, or there's lack of training for that, and assuming that physicians are going to be the ones that do that, and um, you know, technically, is medical management like that skilled labor for us like maybe not but i do feel that that we have turned into that that person who we can give you all these options and let's see what one works best for you
1: i remember when i when i moved to the tri-cities that was like 25 years ago or so um and established myself like it was a big deal to be the best right like the uh, yeah. The best PT, or I, and one doctor referred to me at the time as the as the best hand therapist in town, and then as um, as hospitals have been taken over by corporations, you don't hear that anymore. Who who's you know that that striving for excellence isn't the goal. It's you need to refer within your association or within your organization. And we hear that doctors get pressure if they uh, are referring out too much. Mm. Um, yeah.
2: And then it gets into politics of where they're referring.
1: Yeah. I think you make a good point, Shona, that, that it is when it comes to medicine, you do hear that more. It's,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, I wish it's that funny, I attractive. thought about this
2: in a way like the wish I would have told, maybe I took that to heart too when I was working at Therapy Solutions because I feel like I actually really enjoyed like making a plan with my patients of, you know, you're seeing us for PT, but, you know, here's this functional medicine doctor that we know in town that's amazing. or And maybe you should, you know, begin working with these other practitioners around town. Here's a surgeon that we recommend. Um, and I, I actually really enjoyed being sort of that like a manager person Mm -hmm. managing um I felt like I was doing more than just physical therapy in you know in a way that I was sort of helping them figure out what was their best plan um but I did have that thought of like shouldn't their primary care be doing this I mean I like doing it but I just think that we had the time like I don't think that most doctors have the time or energy to, to really put the effort in, because it does take time and effort to figure that out for people
1: with people. Yeah. yeah. That building a team that is yeah part of what I like to do too. And, uh,
2: yeah, you know,
1: I think why not, why not the PT profession be the one to do that? We,
2: yeah,
1: uh, we are about how you live your daily life and, um, you know, I think medical, well, you you could argue it could be the role of the primary care, too. But when so many of them are squished for that, squished for time, um, who is it? Uh, you know, our one of our the people that we like to refer to, um, Dr. Penny Stringer, um, when she, you know, she this last year went to all-cash and moved away from insurance saying that, you know, she just couldn't handle any more insurance telling her that she needed, um, she needed to justify why she's seeing people for longer than 11 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When they have such complicated problems. And um, I always, well, I, I, I've thought of her as such an excellent diagnostician and an example of what medical, medical doctors are trained for like I think she's a medical version of what we like to do um, to take time with people and really sort through their problems and it was outstanding uh, you know when we've shared patients to see her work uh, like and that I think
0: you it's a great segue into the what I was going to say too about our training because um, when I have patients too that also say like why didn't anyone tell me this i always talk about our training and how physicians are trained for um for diagnosing things that they are able to diagnose and give you medication if it's warranted and then refer you out to specialists if needed Um, or that's like the role of the primary care right Mm-hmm. And then the specialists, like they are very well versed in surgery, uh, medication, and other treatment options, uh, in terms of fixing the solution or fixing the problem, right? And then us physical therapists, and I would also add like speech language pathologists and occupational therapists because we are trained in a similar manner of. Um, it's not just one thing you know there's so many things that create the symptoms and or the system that we're living in and we are um, able to discern multiple options um, because we we are highly taught about informed consent and how um, we can't necessarily do anything if the patient isn't on board or isn't willing a willing participant in like what we're talking about and so Um, when they, when people realize the training is different too, and our goals are different, you know, like the goals of a surgeon is making sure they didn't leave any instruments in your body, (laughs) you don't have an infection, and you're not dead, right? Um, And to them, that's success, right? Whereas us, like we're looking at, at how you're living your life. And that takes a lot longer to, to figure out and takes more collaboration and takes more, understanding that there are multiple things out there that can happen that can help mm-hmm. um you know it's it's stinks too how sometimes we get patients that say like well my doctor said that that's not possible and I'm like well I, I don't know what to tell you I I can all I know is I can give you multiple options and know that it has worked for some people and maybe it hasn't worked for other people and and we'll go from there <laughs> you know
1: yeah yeah uh, oh, this <clears throat> something you said. Oh, doctors. Earl, when I first started practicing, the primary care doctors could order a lot of the tests that they don't order now. Now they refer out to the specialist and wait for the specialist to order test. But then that slows down the diagnosis mm-hmm. process because if they're making a guess, oh, this is neurological. I'm going to send you to the neuro. Specialist and they do their tests and realize, no, it's not neural. Oh, we're going to send you over to this specialist, you know, wait three months, get the appointment. And actually, there, there was a research showing that diagnosis is taking longer because we've taken away that the system has taken away from primary care the, the ability to order those tests themselves, hone in on the region that needs treatment, and then refer to the specialist um and so people are are waiting longer for diagnoses and um i i don't think i i kind of wish it would go back to letting the primary cares hone in on the by ordering tests but
0: and that makes sense right we need a central person who is able to discern all the information and then and then send you out as needed and unfortunately, especially primary cares. Oh my gosh. I don't know how they are surviving. Um, the, what is expected of them to perform and productivity in a day and how many patients they have to see. And then somehow have empathy is, I don't know how they're doing it. Like I,
1: yeah. Yeah. And you know, if I'm name dropping you, you know, some of the the really great doctors have left the system in order that they can keep doing that. So like, um, Dr. Jessica Schneider in her model of just pay me a monthly fee and let me do it for you. Or, um, Dr. Salinas, who says, you know, pay me a fee. He, he still bills insurance, but you you pay the fee to be part of his, his program. Um, and you get that that attention, and what it what a difference it makes. Um, like who who else is like? I think some of the functional medicine practitioners, like Noelle Hubs, people really like her. That I'm probably forgetting names, but and and then you know that there's people in the system that there's doctors that have to work within this these organizations that uh, have as much passion, and would love to be able to um, give their patients more time like that. Just like I think that there are physical therapists working with these larger organizations that would like to give more time to their patients. We, we even get referrals from physical therapists. And I've, I've had one patient tell me the therapist said, well, I know what you need, but I can't do it in this setting that she was in, but you can go over there to therapy solutions and they'll do it for you. They, they'll take the time um
0: and how frustrating is that and, yeah. and probably also like somewhat soul-sucking like i i feel i feel a lot i don't know what i feel i don't know what words <laughs> to describe it right now uh but that physical therapist i mean thank you for taking the altruistic road of um i'm doing what's best for the patient and that's unfortunately not me, um, but then as a physical therapist and as a professional, like I, I before we started um, recording, you know, Shona was talking about, um, you know, in PT school, the the concept of us of the growth of physical therapy and how many physical therapists are needed and what a wonderful profession it is, and it really is. It's I, I say all the time that uh, I'm. I really like my job, and I'm really good at it, and and uh, and at the same time, there's a lot of difficulties in it, and uh, it's definitely not as um, rainbows and puppies as you know, as PT school made it sound. So, um, yeah, so it's a lot of of juggling and figuring out what the best direction is.
1: Yeah, oh, so much to be said there. Um we take pause. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that the emotion. This is soul sucking is a good word and that <laughs> moment of silence is another description yeah. because it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. I I you know, you can try your best and it's you can't solve this puzzle <laughs> of what's happening. So what i mean what's happening so i think with the dr Vader method and holding this high level of standard is an example of what's happening in many other areas i because of my interest in yoga and ayurveda i see it in both of those places yoga in india has a four-year degree over here you can go go to bali for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) you're a yoga teacher
0: yeah exactly
1: you know, so what we're getting is not what its original intent was, and and so we're we're missing out.
0: And I think that was when I was like in the shower earlier, like thinking about what I wish I knew. I think that was it. Was one of it was um, how our capitalistic society is set up for profit and fast and lacking quality in some capacity uh it's meant to buy 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 right and in terms of humans and in terms of our health it doesn't quite fit that that situation and um I'm also not saying I'm anti-capitalism. I'm not I'm trying to be <laughs> political here whatsoever. I'm just am able to see that the the values of capitalism and the values of medicine and the values of health like don't really go together. Um, and yet we're trying, like we are trying, like us practitioners are trying to fit that model, and it it doesn't feel good, and it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And, and I hope that we are thinking about that and thinking about how we can make it all work. And at the same time, like also us as medical providers, like aren't, should not be expected to do things for free, you know, or below what our training is and below or get paid for less than what our, our training is, you know Um, all the um, out of the five therapists including a physical therapist at the office including Shona four of them have their doctorate right and uh and to say that you know people assume like oh that must mean that you make a lot of money and they're like no like that's not not that again not that I need to make a lot of money and again that's like again that capitalism versus medicine like where does that lie I also think don't have to pick a lot of money, but also we should be treated like our doctorate level degree gives us, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. I know there's yeah. a lot.
1: But, like, well, and why shouldn't you make um, a living wage or, you know, and have a little uh, yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah. So the economics thing, you know, capitalism works when it is when people apply values. Yes. But greed has overtaken.
0: Yep.
1: 100%. When we say that the most important thing is profit uh, and we don't bring in these other elements of humanity and. And quality
0: um, Yeah. And empathy. Like you said, yeah, human, human experiences. Absolutely.
1: And I think if there was, I wish that I'd been told, you know, it would be to understand how that model has so deeply influenced our our society, like you, this, you can go way back. Like when I went through the African American Museum in the Smithsonian, which really is the American Museum, <laughs> because it's the story of our economic system, and it's flawed. Like it was uh, shocking to realize that when it's um, this museum starts in a basement, like three stories down into the ground, and then you go up, I think it's five stories total, and you walk up, up, up. But it starts with, here's the Americas and here's Africa. And you realize Africa had thriving cultures that we Slaves. never get taught about. Nope. Um, and that the slave trade started over sugar sugarcane not tobacco <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah so first drug of choice but it was the first time in known history that slavery um went generational like um it i highly recommend everybody go see that museum and i don't know why they should do like a virtual tour of it so and that every american should have to it should be part of our education to understand it in any way.
0: And I think that's a really great way to summarize all of that is that the system that we are living in does affect our medical system and the frustrations that a lot of patients have regarding the changes in the medical system. And I would say that's one of the reasons, unfortunately, um, And I think that also ties into it's a great example of like, what I wish I knew was a lot of the history that is taken out of the history books in school and, and uh, the availability of, of talking about that stuff was so limited. I've learned so much in the past five years because of um, social media. And yes, there is a lot of, negative things that come out of social media and there is a lot of positive things that come out of it too just the access to information that I mm-hmm. never especially as someone from a small-ish town in the midwest you know like none of that was ever talked about and mm-hmm. I remember in college too like um in undergrad like pushing back on some of the things because uh, I I didn't know better and then like especially when you're view of the world is being is being what's it called um challenged um it's hard you know to be okay like i i'm gonna 100 percent understand this and believe this right away uh it took some time it took more Mm -hmm. it took repetition right it took me seeing it over and over and over again of other people that don't have the same experiences that i do so that i knew what that all meant and so now it's about putting it into practice, and that's very hard. Yeah, very hard to do.
1: Yeah, and the the social media thing is another great example of a great tool that requires people to practice values for it to go well. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's, yeah. its own like microcosm, right? Of of society, I mm-hmm. feel it's like literally. A, personification of it.
1: So I was I was I was thinking about what are some things I wish someone had told me. And I was thinking of my autoimmune thyroid problem, um, which started back in my early 20s. And the years of me going to the doctor saying, why am I tired all the time? I can't lose weight. <laughs> yeah. And and um, just get me kind of pushed aside And um, and now that I learn Ayurveda and I realize, oh, man, if I had had this stuff in my 20s, I would be in a different place now. I wish someone would have told me and I wish I if I would have listened if they did tell me, because that's the other thing. And that that ties into what you're saying. You know, we're being presented with uh, some new ideas. And we can reject those ideas um, because they don't fit into our paradigm. Nope. That—that's like who's the other one? Is John Barnes and myofascial release? You know, um, there's a lot of pe- therapists who don't like him because he rocks their boat. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you step back and and sort through the information. Because you know we don't take don't take things on face value. Challenge them. You, there's uh, all these things have s- some value to them. Uh, the being like African American history, Native American history, um, uh, fascial release, the development of healthcare, uh, the food industry. <laughs> oh
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. There's one I wish people would have told me about too, like, like the the how um, in the 80s that snacking took off, and then um, the sales of snacks, the the consumption of snacks took off in the 80s, and lo and behold, we have all these health problems. Um, So when I did some research on snacking, one of the articles I found was the food industry is not really interested in nutritional value. They're interested in finding products that people will buy. And there's actually research going on to develop an artificial digestive system so that they can try foods on this artificial system without risking humans and, and, uh, you know, see if they could feed it. To humans, I'm not making this up. <laughs> like well. I you cannot there's no way you could duplicate the human digestive system. So if they think they're gonna come up with something and then feed us food we still don't fully understand the human no, digestive system at
2: all. Like no. we're on the tip of the iceberg learning about the microbiome and all that. So yeah.
1: So they these um these uh example an example I don't know they tested it on that artificial digestive system I don't think they have the system created yet, but the are are the things that they come up with I don't want to name names of products but things that imitate the flavor of beef, you know like if you want to be a vegan or a vegetarian eat vegan and vegetarian foods you don't need if you want to eat something that tastes like a hamburger eat a hamburger. <laughs> These yeah. fake meats are like just loaded with, uh, they're highly processed, loaded with like coconut oil, um, things that are just consumed in large quantities are not going to be good for the your human system. Um,
2: yeah. Same thing with gluten free products too. Like if you're going to yeah. gluten free, just eat other grains like rice or amaranth or millet or, you know, some of these other things versus like a gluten-free bread. That's just full of potato starch and like sugar. And they tend to be actually maybe not as healthy, not healthy for you (laughs) in in other ways.
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah So
2: this is such an interesting topic because it's like, well, there's so much information out there and it just depends on like what your life is and what you really want to know. And I mean, some people just don't really want to know some of the stuff but, like I found. It's just as, as I mean, we're really into it because like this is our field and we like to help people and we love to give people information, but sometimes people like also just don't want to hear it. I don't know. that's just a thought that came up to me. Um, yeah. Like if they're doing something health, unhealthy to their body, Sometimes it's like I don't know. They don't. They don't want to hear it, and I've struggled with that too. As somebody who wants to give them the information.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would. I, we're kind of going around that. Um, the issue of discerning accurate information, and mm-hmm. in an age where we have huge amounts of information. Mm-hmm.
0: I think part of that too is uh, the. The patient and/or people, we can, whoever, um, needs to be in a place that they're able to accept it. Like, yeah. I think when I really started buying into things that I was definitely the opposite again of living in a world of I we didn't know. Like, you know, you you can't blame yourself for not knowing what you don't know. Um, but for myself, I yeah. really bought into things and changing mindsets and changing. Um, is when I was seeking, like, I, I hit a wall, like, I, how I'm living my life is not appropriate anymore, and I need to figure out why. And then using that experimentation and, and being okay with experimenting and trying things and failing and trying things and succeeding. Uh, it, that is one of the things like stuck. That's when my mindset and my uh, my ability to live a certain lifestyle that I think is more appropriate than when I was living before, whatever you want to call it. Like I had to get to that point. Uh, I did feel like when other people told me, you know, this is what you need to do and blah, blah, blah. Even if we give options, like we are saying that we usually give patients options. um, It kind of feels like an attack, right? And like, if I'm attacked, I don't really want to participate in, in what you're talking about. And so um, I know for myself, when I was seeking out information because I hit a point where how I was living my life was not sustainable, then I could buy in a lot better. Um, But it it does take someone to tell you that what you're, how you're living is not sustainable anymore, or could be the reason why you're sick and headaches and not sleeping well. And like all that kind of stuff. And, and so just saying, Hey, like that's a being an adult, like get over it. Um, No, (laughs) like we, like we, we deserve, even in adulthood deserve to live a happy and healthy life. And obviously things are not going to be perfect at all the time. So like things happen, but then you're going to be more equipped in order to handle those times that there's more difficult.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just nice to have the, all the information, even if you're not in a place where you can apply mm-hmm. certain things or to make those changes. It's, it's just nice to like have practitioners that tell you like, Hey, this is, this is what I see. This is an option. And then, you know, as the patient or the client, you can sort of take it from there, but at least you have the information.
1: Yeah. We're, we're kind of heading into another part of it. Cause not only we the statement, I wish someone would have told me assumes that you immediately accept what you're being told.
0: 100%, but yeah.
1: The other part mm-hmm. of it is when you hear some of this stuff, it's so shocking that you you can reject it, like um, yeah. in Ayurveda. Um, I was recent, you know. As I've learned things, I tell my patients, and I was wor- working with one of my patients who n- knows Ayurveda, um, and I was telling her, you know, you need to change some things up. The choices that she was making were not ideal for her, and. <clears throat> Finally, things got bad enough. She said, okay, I'll talk to your teacher. So she talked with um, Jessica Villela. There's another one who's set standards and held her ground. Um, And um, the person came back. It so rocked her boat. Like what she thought Ayurveda was and what Dr. Villela was telling her was opposite in some ways. And she's like, well, how, do, she comes back to me. How do you know that she, that she's who she says she is? How did, what, where, you know, who's, who could, yet yeah, like uh, she was questioning the source because it was so different than what is being said by lots of Ayurveda practitioners in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. And I had, it surprised me. I had to stop for a moment, which by the way, Dr. Valella is, um, part of a national organization of ayurvedic practitioners she's spoken for that organization she's taught in some of the schools in the u.s some one of her students right now is in the best uh got accepted into the best ayurveda college in india so i, I it made me stop and think like oh have i um who am i um, following you know but and i would have to say for my um My patient who was questioning; those are actually good questions. (laughs) Uh Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh I think it's like holding space for multiple truths, and then using your intuition and your education and your critical thinking skills, and what you think is is the right thing to do. Like all of that can be true. You know, it's 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 definitely, and I like. I learn a lot from you, Sarah, about allowing silence and allowing that moment of reflection, and that that's okay. Um, sometimes we feel like we have to continuously talk, 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 and but we have to also let patients like be in silence and like think. Like that's that's a a, a huge thing that I've learned.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. good. Yeah. But, I like to know that I passed something on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots. <of
2: them.
1: laughs> uh, well, one thing I know is people will always have health issues. So we'll, there always will be a place for us to help people. We just don't know what that looks like um, in this changing market and how to continue to create <clears throat> work that gets paid for.
0: Yeah, and truly promote a health-based model and not a sick based model like you know that word kind of gets sh- thrown around too that you know we're actually dealing with sick care and not health care and how negative and how um, sad and I don't again other emotions that I don't know how to what words to say right now uh, but it does feel like we are working in that in that paradigm of
1: sick care not health care right absolutely the the longer i look i do ayurveda the more i get that too that because ayurveda has those first four stages you know and western medicine is stage five and six so there's a ton of stuff you can do to not get to stage five and um up until I understood Ayurveda, we saw it in our practice. We saw it with people, we saw it in ourselves. The, I, this, I don't feel good, this isn't right, what's going on. Um, and then to finally find a system that's been in existence for thousands of years and realize, oh, we, get, we here it is. This is how we can feel better.
2: Well, it's hard too, because I think, um... Like when people say why why has nobody told us this? And then, you know, in in our model in our medical model that it like our, for example, Ayurvedic information isn't isn't readily available and a lot of times it's cash based. So I think a lot of this amazing information about health just does get really missed if you can't afford it financially. Yeah.
0: Available resources is is a, a huge barrier to what we're talking about and not just financial. Like that is a huge portion. Like how many times I've talked to patients are like, I just can't afford it. And my coming from a privileged part for me, would I could say, well, if you invest now, then you're going to save money down the road or assuming that you're going to save money down the road because you have potentially less health concerns Um, which is a very privileged thing for me to say. So I do understand that that's not, not uh, capable, you know, for a lot of people. Uh, And also other resources that we can think about too is um, location or um, family uh, support. Um, You know, all that kind of stuff is also part of what resources um, can be lacking that for achieving access to what you're talking about
1: it it does keep kind of coming back to the financial stuff yeah yeah
2: right which is where this talk started kind of
1: yeah i i heard a talk um but um what was her lady's name oh i wish i could credit her but an ayurvedic practitioner talking about um the pandemic but and um what are the what are the things that cause pandemic, pollution of air, pollution of water, denuding of the land and disruption of time, and that the root cause of these things happening are greed. And I have to say, um, yeah, we're living in a time in our country where greed is kind of rampant and um, and dominant. And I was thinking back to, we're all fighting over the $1 while the, well, there's a few people that have the other 99 and I, I don't think of myself as political either, but it's, it's just getting so apparent. You cannot live well. And, and the, and the people cannot live well without enough resources.
0: And and resources is huge, right? It's not just financial, it's access to education, which is mm-hmm. also uh, which is also being threatened right now, access to safety, access to
2: transportation. I have like, I, I don't know, this is a little off topic. Well, on topic, but a different direction. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me a lot of things about motherhood. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, I've been shocked so many times. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I wish somebody would have told me about not straining to have a bowel movement while you're pregnant.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> or in general.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: What are some so things that you wish you were I told wish about? someone
0: would have told me that I am my, I am who I am and I'm okay to be who I am. And I don't have to fit mm. into a box that people want me to fit into. You know, mm. I, I feel like when I was younger, I like was more free about that, and then when I got in, and as adulthood, it like got shoved down your throat even more. And I'm like, and then you wonder why we use substances or food or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, to numb ourselves because we're going against like our true identity. You know, it's like, ah.
2: yeah, I think a lot. There's a lot there. That makes me think. I I wish somebody would have told me that I'm not responsible for other people's mm. feelings and emotions. Mm. Oh yeah, that's a big <laughs> <one>. <laughs> kind of connected to what you're saying, Chrissy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, becoming a people pleaser and an empath and all that. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah.
1: How about so what are some of the motherhood things?
2: Um oh, I wish Somebody would have told me about blocked ducts and mastitis for sure. Um, And that nursing didn't come just super easily. Um, And that it takes work to get your baby to sleep. And (laughs) there's just like a lot of things that I think maybe were at one time common knowledge, but since we don't live in like communities where we're seeing other mothers and babies all the time, there's just so many things that like maybe I heard, but I didn't really actually know. <laughs> um, I'm glad that I was in this world and that somebody did tell me to have a home birth with midwives. Um, <laughs> because, and that, you know, to really ad, um, advocate for yourself and your, your birth and delivery. Um, that's kind of a rampant thing in this wor- world is hospital births and, um, uh, not having, um, informed consent and, you know, a lot of medical interventions and things like that. <laughs> so I am glad for that. Um, yeah. <sighs> what else? Wish somebody would have told me to, tell people to stay away right after the baby is born and not come in too soon. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't know. Those are the things yeah, on the top of that, my head. That boundary <laughs> slash uh, people pleasing thing. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was a thing where you uh, kept you kept your baby away from the public for at least the first few weeks, you know, and that makes sense because of the risk of getting sick. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I say like the first 40 days are like really a sacred time to not really go anywhere or see anybody or and it really makes sense to me having gone through that. Cause you just really are in your own cocoon. And it's nice to have like people who you trust come in to your space and like do things for you, like do your laundry and like do all the chores and stuff. But you don't really need somebody to like hold or play and play with the baby kind of thing. It's maybe if you have somebody you trust, like I did accept help, help getting him down to like nap. But but really, yeah, it isn't really. I didn't. It, you can't. You don't have the capacity to be social or like listen to other people talk about their lives and their stuff <laughs> it was and or figure out things in general life like it's just I feel like your brain the mom brain is just like you're so in tuned to your baby and you don't want anything to do anything else um,
0: and that concept comes from indigenous cultures and And cultures that have been thriving for thousands of years and and then the western thinking and european thinking and is the opposite of that and Mm -hmm. so we do have to we do have to come back to our 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 roots and like and acknowledge that those learnings and those teachings come from people groups of people who are marginalized right and then um, what a interesting interesting thing
2: to hold space for as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's kind of comes full circle and back to more ancient or traditional cultures because they've been doing it for so long and our Western culture is just so new. like that I, I mean just like the idea of people going back to work at six weeks or, or even three months is kind of crazy. And i don't think does our culture any service because it's kind of traumatizing to the baby and the mother it can be anyways it would have been for me i think if i had to go back full time
1: Um, uh it's coming into my awareness the amount of pumping breast pumping that we're asking mothers to do that for
2: me like I didn't feel any desire to pump. I don't know what other mothers feel, but well, luckily if I, I didn't had to go back need to, work. to. Right. Luckily I didn't, if I had to go back to work, yeah, I, I probably would have made myself figure it out. But yeah, I didn't feel, I didn't like it, <laughs> but
1: that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. I mean, as I appreciate the mothers at the clinic that, have come back to work and they pump. And then I realize, wow, there's consequences. There can be consequences to pumping as far as breast pain or, um, you know, we ask mothers to, you know, yeah, come back soon. And by the way, go ahead and, and pump. So they're trying to work and they're pumping and they're, um, it's just a lot of pressure. But, you know, again, it does kind of come back to resources and. um,
2: And luckily at Therapy Solutions, you give them the time and space to do that.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: And it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know. I think a lot of workplaces are more patriarchal and it's harder to fit that in.
1: You know, it's funny that has been around. It. For decades, because I used to breastfeed, um, you know, out in public, because I thought, you know, yeah, it's just a thing, and uh, yeah. got reactions. Yeah. And you think we, we get over it? When do we get over it?
2: I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to feed my baby. Like, why is that such a weird thing? It's mm-hmm. oh, so annoying. I, I could go on about that, but unfortunately we're so
0: all of us are women are sexualized so much that you know that we don't see it as like I'm feeding my baby people see it as like you're flashing everyone your breasts and then <laughs> trying to be <laughs> sexual and you're like no like you said I'm just trying to feed my baby and like, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately we're so sexualized at such a young age that yeah. that that's also a barrier I think to people accessing breastca- or breastfeeding and yeah. breastfeeding instead, you know, kind of a thing.
2: Yeah. Otherwise you just feel confined to your house. Like you can't go out because I mean, I'm still, I'm in 11 months and I'm still breastfeeding him every, I don't know, four hours on average, three or four hours. And it's nice to just be able to go out for an afternoon and feed them like when I'm out, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I uh, do expect women to just go hide away.
1: <laughs> go in the bathroom.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> <laughs> toilet. And... Yeah. that's no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a whole well,
1: new topic. Maybe can people can think it. about what they wish they had been told. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well thank you guys. Okay,
2: cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
1: Yeah.
0: Well we'll think we'll probably have another one of these discussions, probably. I'm sure after today we'll reflect <laughs> and then think, oh I should have said this. And then
1: Yes. Well, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, you ladies have a good day.
1: You too.
2: Thanks. You thanks. too. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions P-L-L-C. That P-L-L-C is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.